episode of Come Over for Dinner. I'm so glad you're joining me today. Today, I have a very special guest from Texas, my home state, one of them. I claim Texas and Arkansas, since I lived in Texarkana, a border city. Her name is Amanda Webb, and I am so excited to have her today. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, Bess. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Wonderful. Well, she is one of the listeners of the show, and she sent me an email that was so kind. I'm going to share just part of it. She said, I would like to write in and share how much I'm blessed by your show and am so thankful for it. Hospitality is a passion for our family, and we're thankful for the love of Christ that we can share with others through this special command. I've listened to each episode, and our hosting skills have been benefiting so much. There's always something new to learn about home and kitchen management, guest comfort, meal ideas, and I'm just eating it up (laughs) in quotation marks. I think my favorite episode so far was with the French chef husband. That was Francis Fukushan. What he said about covering all the bases for their guests versus having them bring items has resonated very much with us. And I love the priority of service and love that he emphasized with his approach. So it's so encouraging to hear that and to hear from listeners who are enjoying the podcast and are benefiting from it, just learning new things and also being inspired to continue hospitality in their own homes, in their own lives with people around them. So thank you so much for that. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself besides the fact that you're in Texas? That's not really telling much about you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Bess. I'm Amanda. I'm married to Jonathan Webb. Uh, We've been married 10 years next month. We have a five-year-old daughter named Aletheia. Her name is a Greek word. It means truth. And we're very proud of her. I grew up in Georgia and migrated to Texas when he and I got married. We met in college. So tell me a little bit about your hospitality right after you were married. As a young wife, did you have your own home? Were you in an apartment? What did those early years look like? Well, we started off in apartments. Our first apartment was about 600 square feet. And three years later, we upgraded to an apartment that was 700 square feet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It felt so much bigger. Oh, yeah, it sure Um, would. We would have people over in our apartments and we would just eat it up. We just loved it. I've always enjoyed having people over, usually like one family at a time, come over to our apartment, family that could be a church friend. And so when we got married, my my mother-in-law would have basically every Sunday night, the all local family. It started of about 15 of us and now there's about 30. And so all the local family will come over to our house and we all have dinner. That usually is like a pot roast. Sometimes it's spaghetti. It could be chicken and rice. Just kind of whatever is on hand. Everybody's welcome to come over and have it. Um, But when we got married and we were going to church, we wanted to kind of cycle through having uh, not just going to family dinner with her, but also bringing people into our home on a regular basis. We set a goal that we wanted to host every family within our church to come over. So we just started working through the directory. (laughs) You mentioned I'm wearing a Chick-fil-A shirt. (laughs) The reason is because my husband worked for Chick-fil-A. With Chick-fil-A, of course, they're closed on Sunday, and he could have been scheduled at any point throughout the week. And so we really were consistently available on Sundays. And so we would just have people over after church. Usually we would schedule that, you know, a few weeks to a month or so in advance. 
we just had them kind of stacked. It's like every other week we'd have a different a different family in our home. And then the opposite week, we would just go to his parents' house. A lot of people might say, I can't invite anybody over. It's too small. So how did you fit? I know one, like you said, one family at a time, maybe all you can manage to have over. Maybe that's all you have space for. But how did you do it? What kept you from saying, I can't have someone over. My space is too small. We just figured that the the people that we'd be inviting, we just wanted to love on them and we didn't want our, our small space to stand in that way. And we believed that the the value we had to offer them by loving on them in this way, even though we had, you could say, limitations, we felt that they would find that kind that same value as well. And so, you know, we'd invite them over and um we had our small dining room table that seated comfortably it seated four but you really could fit six around there <laughs> and we would have a like a leaf to add into the table and then it could extend extend to hold about eight there were times that we packed 10 around that table um and basically what we did was anybody who could not fit at the table we would select you know certain people it could have been the kids or the teenagers or whatever to go sit on the couch <laughs> they'd yes. still be kind of part of the conversation because it was all one room because <laughs> it was a small apartment uh-huh. but you know we just kind of set that precedence hey our space is small but our love is big so y'all just come over we're gonna have dinner and it's gonna be a great time and it always was and so we I remember bringing over I think we had two office chairs at one time like for two different desks and we would just bring the office chairs over into the dining area and add those in. I've also brought in like small, like pedestals, like foot pedestals and just kind of pack everybody in around the table. Well, that <laughs> is the point when you're inviting people over, it's not about showing off your space or how big and large and beautiful your home is. It's about welcoming them into whatever size space you have and sharing your food, your love, your encouragement, your fellowship with them. You mentioned that your husband was diagnosed with leukemia. So in addition to having a small living space, now you also have a huge trial that you're walking through. How did that change your hospitality? Having people into your home on a regular basis once your husband was diagnosed, was that possible? Yes. My husband was was diagnosed with leukemia actually three weeks before our daughter was born. We didn't see it coming. Obviously, it just... It just showed up one day. He had even had blood work three months prior for life insurance, didn't show anything. And so just all of a sudden, here it is. Boom, you've got leukemia. That was definitely trying. And our church was huge in stepping up and just encouraging us and taking care of us through all that time. A real quick caveat. When you say your church was really big in helping you in in that trial, tell me a little bit about what they did. Because I was on bed rest, they had already set up a meal train for us to to help keep me off my feet, really, and to start bringing us meals. I think it was every two or three days they would bring a meal to us. And that was, that started, I want to say maybe a week or so prior to this, then just recognizing that, that this trial is going on. There was regular prayer updates that we were trying, that that were circulating. And so at the first, that was the biggest thing was, was prayer and, and helping with meals. I remember one lady came over and helped clean my clean our apartment. <laughs> and so they really did take good care of us. And then they took care of us more as things progressed. So ho- hopefully anyway. that gives a little preview. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I just feel like 
we do talk about coming, come over for dinner, but hospitality can take many forms, including taking a meal to someone who is in need, like Mm -hmm. you and your husband, you know, just you're on bed rest about to have a baby. He's going, he's just diagnosed with leukemia, health problems. You do have the baby a few weeks later. A meal train is an amazing beginning to serving people in that type of situation. God was so gracious, so good. He gave us a really a steady mind to just lean on him through the whole thing. Our church, um, they would come and visit. And I remember, I think a lady from my mother-in-law's church packed up a big bucket of snacks, (laughs) just stuff that we could keep in the hospital while we're waiting on, on this and got through that. And I think it was it was an anniversary of the day that of the day that we had met is when we had we actually got his official diagnosis that he had chronic myeloid leukemia. And thankfully, that is something that he can just treat with a daily pill and essentially have a normal life. He does have some, you know, crazy side effects from the pill, but we've been able to manage those as well, thankfully. And so that's now five years ago. Thankfully, this is a chronic form. It's not aggressive. And God's just been so good to preserve him. (laughs) So your husband being diagnosed with leukemia brought financial blows and obviously changed things in your life. You have a brand new baby within a few weeks. You're on a single income. You're not working. Obviously, that's a very difficult time for you. I know that at some point you said that you still had families in your church you wanted to invite over you're struggling. And at some point you move in with your in-laws just for a season. Tell me a little bit about that and also how your hospitality happened with you being in someone else's home. Yes. Soon after he was diagnosed with leukemia, we just learned that his his um, his strength was was waning. He couldn't quite bring in the income that he used to be able to. He was sick about one week every month, and that basically cuts your, cuts the income down to about a quarter, you know, by a quarter. And we were trying to do it as a single income family. We continued as long as we we could, and we ended up to where we only had about seven or eight families left to invite over out of a fam- out of a group of forty over the the whole church. And so we had to stop simply because we couldn't afford it anymore. Our money was so tight and so impacts that um, that cancer may bring that nobody really expects, along with just already dealing with sickness <laughs> so much. Our church did step up to to help us with with our expenses. Our bills were so thankful for them. So not only were they, you know, bringing meals and everything then, but they were also helping financially at times. And so it got to a point where our lease was about to renew and we knew that we couldn't sustain what we were doing. And so um, my in-laws recognized that we were in such a, a spot. And so they invited us into their home and said, we want to help you through this time, get you on your feet. And so we did, we moved into their home about a year after he was diagnosed. We were not hosting people at that, at that point, but as we started to, have a little bit of wiggle room, be able to breathe a little bit more simply because, okay, this one specific need of housing, (laughs) it's taken care of. Now we can try and resume life and rebuild. And so hospitality was really 
one of the biggest ways that we were serving the church before, and we wanted to continue, we wanted to resume that, but we didn't have our own home. We were in my in-laws house experiencing and benefiting from their own hospitality and so thankful for them, but out of respect for them, we would not invite anybody inside. And so we already had a lot of family that were coming in and out frequently, and there was just not a good conducive way to schedule anything should we have tried. So we, what we would do is we would just invite a family, tell a family from church, hey, we would love to get together with you. It could have been a family that we were really close with already, or somebody new, you know, it could be the pastor in his family. We just kind of took whoever was on the whoever the Lord had placed on our hearts and we approached them and said, hey, we would love to to host you for a meal. We're in my in-laws house. And so would it be okay if we just prepare a meal and bring it to you? We can do it in the crock pot to where it's heating up over, you know, while we're in church or we can. We were still like Sundays basically was the best kind of only time that we could do it. And so. We would heat it up in the crock pot or we would put the meal in oven dishes and just um, sometimes both <laughs> and, you know, go heat it up in their own oven. And we would just try and cover as much of the meal as we could. We would just prepare meals that we would have already been eating ourselves, you know, at home. And so that way it was simple ish, you know, and not too over the top. <laughs> and it would just, you know, kind of be like eating home comfort foods a lot of times, um, some casseroles, oven chicken, vegetables on the side. Sometimes I would even use their own kitchenware, <laughs> their mm-hmm. own pots and pans. Um, most of the time we would use their own serving utensils and everything. So we'd have the meal with them, fellowship around the table and just get to know them more if it's somebody that we didn't know very well. And then after the meal, just kind of clean up and just continue talking as long as they wanted. And we never had anybody say, no, that was not okay. Everybody I'm was sure they like, were thrilled. Oh, sure? I'm sure they were like, <laughs> yeah. what? You're going to bring lunch over and then help with the dishes afterwards? This is fabulous. <laughs> That's a great compromise. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're in a situation where you don't have the space, somebody else does, you bring the food, they provide the house. That is, there's nothing wrong with that. That sounds like a great compromise. You mentioned finances earlier, and it is very true. There are times in life when you can be in dire straits and you're barely affording the grocery bill. And in those instances, it's pretty difficult to think about hosting other families over on a regular basis. And so thinking through ways that you can just get together and all bring your own food, like a picnic at the park or get together and everybody provide a part of the meal or something like that. I mean, there's there's definitely ways to be creative and still have fellowship with other with other people. So I love your ideas. One of the things you told me is that hospitality is a way that you love to serve others and you have really worked to do it well. And it's a passion of yours that you love to pass on to others. So I'm taking you up on that. We want to hear your favorite recipe. What do you love to serve to others coming into your home? I have two favorite recipes currently. It was hard to whittle it down, but the two that I'm going with, one is Salisbury steak. Most people are probably familiar with this. Um, That's a comfort food. That's delicious. Yes, we love to make it. You're basically making your your beef or venison. My husband is a hunter and we love to substitute venison for beef. You just have to add a little more fat because it's so lean. 
And so you're making your your patty, you could call that seasoning, spices, the egg and all that. And then the gravy to go with it. We love to have it with with onions, with peppers, with mushrooms and just load it up with all that goodness. I like to keep brown gravy mix like it's like a big seasoning canister of it. And I'm just kind of sprinkling that in. <laughs> Let's add some goodness there. That sounds so very we usually have that with. Mm-hmm. It, we usually do that with mashed potatoes or white rice. Most of the times we'll have like home canned green beans from my grandmother or we'll have broccoli or carrots, asparagus, a simple vegetable side. Lately, when I've served it recently, I've, have it, I've had it with butter cookies, gooey butter cookies for, for dessert. And I'll share these recipes with you. Yes, <laughs> I will post these recipes on my website at comeoverfordinner.com. There is a tab at the top right that you can choose that says index. There's also one that says recipes where I think it would have your particular episode with your all of your recipes listed. But under index, you can find it in alphabetical order and also by category. Like if you're looking for these cookies, you could just go to desserts and then cookies underneath that. That sounds delicious. Gooey butter cookies. Oh, yum. <laughs> yes, they're wonderful. <laughs> the menu you've mentioned so far, I know you said you have a second one, so we'll get to that for sure. But what you've said so far is definitely comfort food. And I think anyone being welcomed into your home would love this. I have a hot tip on green beans that I've been wanting to share, but I'm a little scared to share it now that I've, well, I'll tell you the story. There's these fine green beans in the frozen section of Walmart. And when I visited the South, I happened upon them. I was making food for a lot of people and thought I just need to, I was actually doing a Walmart order. Wasn't sure about the quality of fresh green beans I would get. So I ordered some frozen green beans, great value brand, less than $2 for a bag of what's called fine green beans. And they were petite and long and slender and so delicious. I mean, they reminded me of some kind of gourmet green bean. And I thought, Mm. I'm going to do this every time I have company over. Well, not every time, but you know, (laughs) I wanted to serve (laughs) a frozen green bean. Like who serves frozen green beans? That I'm like, this, this is company worthy. Everybody raved about them. I served them more than once. For different meals that I was cooking. I was down south. My daughter had her first baby, which was so exciting. But I was cooking for the family. And when the in-laws would come over, we had family meals. And anyway, did these green beans multiple times. So delicious. Just steamed on the stovetop with some salt and pepper. The bag says you can steam them in the microwave. Didn't do that. I just did it on the stovetop. Then I come back to Idaho, buy the exact same green beans. And inside the bag, I bought two bags. It is not petite green beans. They are regular, full-size, chewy, waxy green beans. Not the same product at all. So I'm really uh, hesitant to recommend this because this was going to be one of my top recommended hacks for hospitality. Like if you need some frozen green beans, these are the ones to buy. So I don't know what's happening with these green beans, but I would say try them. And just see what you get, because I'm wondering, hopefully, that there was some mistake in the assembly line and that I will actually be able to get these fine green beans again. Back to your menu. That was just a a wild caveat about frozen green beans. (laughs) (laughs) Your your menu sounds delicious. Tell me about your second recipe. The second menu, I actually just served it last night. We had guests last night, chicken risling. 
I found this by going to Cheesecake Factory for my birthday. After one bite, I just told my husband, I have to find out how to make this so I can have this at home. You're making bacon in little bits and pieces, which I've used your tip of cutting it into small pieces and letting it just boil on the stove. <laughs> I've done it every time I've made this. <laughs> yes. And then it magically um, turns into crispy bacon. Like you have to watch it, but yes, it looks like it's boiling almost, but it's really just frying <laughs> in the fat. But then all of a sudden it magically turns into these crispy little bits of bacon that you have to pull out pretty quick at the end, but it's a fabulous way to go when you're cooking a lot of tidbits of bacon. Absolutely. And so this is chicken, dredged chicken breast that has been cooking in bacon grease, basically. And you're, you're adding chopped onions and mushrooms to the remaining grease where you've done the, done the chicken. Add the wine to deglaze the pan. Add some more wine <laughs> for flavor. That cooks down. Add some cream. And the original recipe does not leave out. I mean, does not have any way to like stretch the recipe. But I found a, a hack from my mom. Basically, is that you take your you take a broth. In this case, I used chicken broth, and you warm up just a small bit of it and let the rest of it go into your recipe. Let that get hot. So you warm up the small bit separately, say the microwave, and then you add a spoonful of cornstarch into that and you just get that blended real good. And then you add that into, into your recipe and it's warm into warm and it just kind of like just perfectly blends into the whole rest of it. And that has stretched it. So kind of a little tip there that I've incorporated into the recipe and I've not had it fail yet. It's been really, really great. And so you serve this with buttered angel hair pasta. I did it with with green beans. I'll tell you my trick with with the green beans. <laughs> and so not to steal your thunder, of course not. <laughs> no, we need all the green bean tips. We have to figure out all the ways to enhance green beans. <laughs> so the way I like to do green beans, and I do this every time, I just take the fresh green beans and I have ordered from Walmart pickup very frequently. And I, I usually, as long as I use them within a couple of days, um, usually they're still fresh, just right. I cut the ends off. I drizzle a good bit of olive oil in the pan and start just, you know, cooking them in the, in the skillet. And I add slivered almonds into it and just let those cook with the green beans. Sometimes I'll use another tip from another, from another guest, the adobo seasoning, mm -hmm. and I'll just sprinkle that on top and just let that keep cooking. Sometimes you may have the uh, sides of the green beans be a little, a little brown, not quite black, but you know, just from being on the direct heat, but they always turn out perfect and so flavorful. That sauteed almond, I don't know what it is about it, but it just helps the green bean just right. Yes. When you toast nuts, they turn delicious. That's my favorite way to eat nuts. What kind of salt do you use? Just sea salt. Okay, sea salt. Some people love mm -hmm. sea salt. My favorite is kosher salt. Ina Garten got me onto kosher salt way back in the day. She uses the diamond brand, which she says is a little less salty. In my grocery store, I guess I could order diamond, but in my grocery store, I think it's just Morton. It's just a thicker, coarser mm -hmm. salt, and it is so delicious sprinkled on top of vegetables. And maybe I'm using a little less than Ina does. You know, maybe she uses a little more of her diamond kosher and I use a little more of my Morton. <laughs> <laughs> but if I ever make 
roasted vegetables in the oven or or saute them on the stovetop or even steam them on the stovetop, I always do a sprinkle of that kosher. And it's better to me than the table salt because the table salt is so fine and salty. Sea salt would probably be good as well. Anyway, another hot tip. (laughs) Green beans and salt today, guys. It's really interesting. (laughs) It's really good. I've also heard of of cooking green beans with with chicken broth, and that brings a lot of flavor to them too. Or with bacon or bacon grease. And Mm -hmm. so there's lots of things you can do with green beans. I have heard of someone cooking. Okay, so they're making mashed potatoes, but instead of boiling the potatoes in water, they're doing it in chicken broth. I have yet to try it, but I want to try this. I think my sister told me about a chef doing it, and it just gave a lot of flavor, a beginning flavor to the potatoes. So I need to try this before I put it out there. (laughs) It's the thing to do. To be continued. Okay, well, these Um, sound like great recipes, a great menu. You mentioned your dessert. Anything else on that menu? Uh, on that one, I, I finished it out with a sourdough. I'm just getting in. I'm just starting with sourdough and then peach cobbler, Georgia peach cobbler. Delicious. I don't know if you know the difference between Texas peach cobbler and Georgia peach cobbler. No. The Texas, or at least what I've experienced <laughs> since being here, uh, the Texas peach cobbler is that it's, I, I've seen it where it's mainly like peach pie filling in the pan. And then you have like a crisscross, like pie crust on top with like some sugar and cinnamon and everything. The Georgia peach cobbler, I've been told to enter it into a competition. I have yet to do it, but. Okay, you know, we have to have this recipe now. (laughs) If it's competition worthy. You'll have it. No worries. I'm going to make sure and share it. (laughs) Um, And it's so easy. And so you're preheating your oven to like 350 and put two sticks of butter in a nine by 13 glass pan. With the two sticks of butter, Southern cooks are right on board. So keep going. (laughs) (laughs) You let that preheat in the oven and the butter is melting with it. And so then you're while that's preheating, you're mixing up your batter. And that is two cups of self-rising flour, two cups of sugar, two cups of milk. That's it. Mix that up. It makes it a little around the, not consistency, but the the thickness or so of pancake batter. It's really thin. You pull out the 9 by 13, pour that into the butter. Don't mix it. (laughs) Just leave it there. And then you're spooning peaches that you've either cut fresh and let marinate into in some sugar or you know I like to use canned peaches as well my grandmother does a lot of canning and we like to use her peaches you're spooning the peaches into the batter and you're just kind of like I won't say strategically but trying to even place the the peaches around on the batter you can have as many as much peach to batter as you want place that in the oven and it's going to cook for about an hour to an hour and a half. You want the top to be golden and just kind of have a crust around, not a crustiness, you could say around the edges and the top. And it is just yummy, gooey goodness. And you can have that with ice cream or not hot, cold, doesn't matter. It's just the best. Well, right now in the summertime, a lot of people can find peaches at their farmer's market. This would be the perfect recipe to make. In fact, they're still at our farmer's market. So next Saturday, I know what I'm going to go and buy peaches for. This peach cobbler is on the menu. (laughs) Do you prep any of this ahead of time? Do you have any particular shortcuts or time savers you would use with this? I mean, I know a lot of this stuff you potentially could make the day before and then reheat or 
something along those lines. Can you, do you ever make your dessert ahead of time? Can you make that peach cobbler early or does it need, need to be cooked the day of? The peach cobbler definitely needs to be cooked. Like if you're going to serve it hot, it's best when it is fresh hot. You can reheat it, but it just is not going to have the same the textures. Same. Right. It's still good, but not quite the same textures. I like to prep my entrees ahead of time if I can. And, you know, like like I learned with bringing meals to people after church, you know, use the crock pot. A lot of times you can make them ahead of time and either set it in the fridge or the freezer. Why did I put freezer? I'm sorry. <laughs> can, set it, <laughs> can set it in the fridge overnight and then, you know, heat reheat them in the crock pot. Sometimes if there's a sauce like the chicken risling or the Salisbury steak or whatever, sometimes I'll make the sauce the day of and just let it kind of reheat in the sauce and everything. The great thing about using the crock pot is that it, it frees up a spot on the stove or a rack in the oven. Mm-hmm. And so that's my time-saving shortcut is try and make your entrees ahead of time mm-hmm. um, and or pre-chop your veggies. Like with the green beans, I'm always taking the ends off and I just let those sit in a bag or a bowl inside the fridge while I'm doing everything else. And then at the, la- the last 30 minutes or so, just got to stick them in the skillet. Mm-hmm. What are your tips for reheating in a crock pot? Do you feel like the outside gets hot and the inside stays cold? Or do you have to stir? Do you have to add any liquid? How do you keep, how do you get things evenly heated in a crock pot? Depending does it on what always it just work out for you? <laughs> so I was like, I, nothing. I just turn the button on. <laughs> I have had pretty good success with the crock pot. The last time I did the Salisbury steak, I was serving a large crowd and I, my pastor's family has 10 children and we were taking our meal to them. And so I actually had one crock pot that had all the steaks and then the the Salisbury steaks and then the other crock pot had all the gravy for it. And I heated those separately during church. (laughs) And I was I was kind of like, okay, I hope this is going to work. I'm not going to have the middle of the Salisbury steaks, you know, cold or anything, but they heated perfectly evenly. The gravy was perfect as well. I just I let them be on on low. If you have it on warm there's a good chance it's not going to actually get it hot enough to be ready to eat. It's going to feel like it needs more, more heat. And so I, if it's a shorter amount of time, like just one church service or something, then let it be on low. Whereas if it's going to be a longer amount of time, you might be able to get away with warm. It's something you kind of want to play with sometimes. If you're a stay-at-home mom, then sometimes you can do that over the course of the day as you're leading up to, to serving. So I'd like to know your best prep tip. Now you are back in your own home, but you live pretty far away from church. How many miles from church did you say you are? 60. 60. So you travel a ways to church. So you still might be doing the practice of instead of saying, hey, drive an hour to our house, you're going to bring food in in a crock pot. You're still doing what you started at your at your in-laws home which is a fabulous idea so that you can still have fellowship and a meal with your the families of your church. So I guess your prep tip is use a crock pot. <laughs> do you have anything else you would add to that? I would say, well, we do like to have people in our home. Uh, a lot of times we'll just invite them one family at a time and just say, you know, you know, we're going to make it worth the distance. You know, you just come and let us know when's a good time for you. I like to set the table, preferably the night before, tidy the main areas, 
either the the morning of or the night before. Something that really helps me with my prep, I did this when I was directing the camp kitchen and I just do this now. I like to write out any bake times and any menu items, everything that I'm preparing and when do they need to be heated or when do they need to go in the fridge or whatever. I like to just write it out. So I have my game plan and I just work through it in order best I can. I like to use a dry erase. That way, once it's done, I just erase it. It's gone. I don't have to think about it anymore. (laughs) Another thing I like to do is I've heard a lot of your guests say to have a friend to help. And I will say my best friend, Jessica, and I have hosted several dinners and parties together. We just tag team on the final tasks. A lot of times it's one of us who has planned the whole thing and gotten everything all all prepped and all that. And then the other of us shows up the day of just to finish, just to help execute. The fabulous idea. So it's always turned out good. So these people that you're inviting into your home, how do you show them warm hospitality when they do show up? You're already prepared. You've done things ahead of time. You open the door. Then what? We have a little marquee sign that you can write a message on. Mm -hmm. And we keep this as part of our dining room decor. And it just says, welcome, family name, to our home. And you can see my name is on there today. I love it. Where did (laughs) you purchase this? If you've heard of Aldi, I got this at Aldi. I'm sure you can find this on Amazon, just various places. Just find a marquee board. And we've, like I said, we've put it in our dining room. It's part of the decor. And we just change out the name of the guest, whoever is coming. And it's such a subtle thing. A lot of times they they don't realize that that is there until they're just kind of looking around. Oh, like, my oh, name. My we name in lights. <laughs> I'm <Exactly>. famous. <laughs> and so we've had really great responses to that. And it's been really sweet to do that. I will say also do what you can to get your kids on board, like get them, help them be excited that your guests are coming. Sometimes I'll tell my daughter, uh, she's five. I will always tell her that somebody is coming and I will just say, your friends are coming. Uh, They're coming over for dinner in two days or whenever they're coming. But if it's somebody that she knows and that she really gets excited about, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I won't tell her who it is. Sometimes if I just need to prepare her, I'll go ahead and tell her. But she's getting suspenseful. She's up in the the living room watching for them as I'm finishing things in the kitchen. And then she sees them and she'll just say, it's them. I know that they're my friends, you know, and she gets to open the door. And this is what the friends, the guests hear. They get to hear her being so excited. And it is just too precious. Like, <laughs> so get yeah, your kids excited the, about who's coming. The guests are the big surprise. The present. Right. That's a fun feeling. <laughs> Something that she likes to do, which, you know, just goes along with her being excited that they're coming. You've seen those those tall, narrow signs that people may look put on their front porch. It says, welcome or bless our home or whatever. And so... Uh, We have one that we got for Easter, and on one side it says, he is risen, and the other side says, welcome. Usually we keep that in our dining room, but when she hears that we have guests coming, she she won't even ask. She'll just take that sign, and she will move it to the living room at the front door to where that is the first thing that you see when you walk in the door, and it says, welcome. And and I say, well, why do you want to put that there? It goes in the dining room. She says, mom. We have to say welcome to our guests. (laughs) (laughs) That is precious. 
Well, she is already a hospitable host. I can tell she is doing a fabulous job. So tell us your must-have kitchen item and where we can find it. When we moved into my mother-in-law's house, I was moving into a fully stocked kitchen. Everything that you could have possibly thought of and needed was in that kitchen. And I was thinking, surely there's something that I need to bring. I just want to make sure that I can still cook my way. You know, we'll have our own differences or whatever. And this is one of the things, along with my crock pot <laughs> that I brought. You'd think that the crock pot was my go-to. It was my must-have kitchen item. But actually, it's this. It's a cutting board. And this cutting board has, it can double as a charcuterie board. It's bamboo. Mm -hmm. It's got these plastic mats that can set inside it, or you can just pull them out and put them on the counter. And these mats, there's probably about seven or eight of them, and they're all labeled. Like one says for fish, one says for veggies, one says for bread, one says for cheese, one for chicken, one for beef. And so I don't necessarily follow what the labels say, but I needed this with me <laughs> anytime I'm cooking because whatever I'm chopping, I don't want cross contamination and I just want to be in, or sometimes I just want a clean mat, you know, mm -hmm. a clean, some, a clean cutting board to chop on. And so, or prepare on, you just never know. And so this is definitely my must have. I had to have it with me for that three and a half years we were in my in-laws and that's what I'm going to recommend. <laughs> yes. She's showing it to me and looking at it. It's a cutting board with a slot. And the one thing I can envision is, yes, if you pull the mat out and put that on top of your cutting board, chop your onion, you can set that over to the side, pull another mat, cut your mm -hmm. meat. And like you said, you're not doing any cross-contamination. You're not having to pull out three or four cutting boards. You just use the same cutting board for everything. Instead of scraping it into a plate for later, it just move the mat over. That's genius. They're sturdy enough that you can like bend them to like pour into a pot or say you've got the ends of those green beans and you can just pour them into the trash can. And mm -hmm. so, or you can just scrape your knife. They're so handy and light and flexible and they're plastic. They're dishwasher safe. They're just the best. So where did you find this? What brand is it? This specific one, there's, there's lots of them all over Amazon. This was a gift from my mom. The Amazon description says Seville Classics Bamboo Premium Wood Cutting Board Serving Tray with seven color-coded mats. So Not fun. too expensive, just Amazon. As a side note, <laughs> what is your favorite brand of Crock-Pot? The Crock-Pot brand or something different? I do have the Crock-Pot brand. So both of them were given to me. I, I didn't pick this out. <laughs> One is the, the Crock-Pot brand and the other is Hamilton Beach. Okay. Those are both that classic brands, just a typical crock pot that works really well. Something about these crock pots that are the selling points to me is that they have the clamp down lids um, where you just set the lid on and you can clamp it down, secure it to where most of the time you've got the crock pot, you can be driving somewhere and you don't want whatever you've just made to be sloshing all around your car. And so Trust having me. those clamp lids. I Make have done difference. that before. I need to buy a crock pot with the clamp on it because I have been the person who has taken the soup or the crock pot thinking, well, I'll try really carefully. No, it's going to slosh. And it's 
who wants to be cleaning up soup from a floorboard right as you arrive wherever you're supposed to be going? Not I. (laughs) No. Do you have a story for us that you'd like to share? Yes, I've got two stories. (laughs) One's a cooking story. the The other is a hospitality story cooking story. I grew up in a family that we did not drink alcohol at all. There was no alcohol in our home. As I grew up, learned a bit more about it and began to try things here and there. I just didn't really like it at the time that this happened. (laughs) We would pretend that we were drinking wine by drinking sparkling grape juice and just enjoying it that way. Well, my husband's favorite soup is French onion soup. And I was trying, you probably see where this is going. I, could, I, I was trying see. so hard. <laughs> I was trying so hard to find a French onion soup recipe that he would enjoy. But everything I was finding had wine in it. And I didn't know anything about wine. It kind of scared me <laughs> to think about it. Like I knew that the alcohol would cook out and the flavor would remain, but I didn't, I just wasn't confident with it. And so I kept looking and finally I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm, I've got this with substitutions. Surely there's something I can do here. (laughs) And so I tried making this French onion soup and it only called for about half a cup of wine, but I don't even know what kind it was, but it was red. I remember that. And so I substituted half a cup of sparkling red grape juice (laughs) (laughs) into this French onion soup. And I, I served it to him and he just says, what did you do? (laughs) I don't, what are you talking about? I don't taste anything wrong. (laughs) He's like, something is terribly wrong. (laughs) I've since found a good recipe that does not call for any wine and it's just our favorite now. So we've moved past that. That's the cooking story. The hospitality story is that of my pastor taking dinner to my pastor's family and using an instant pot. And so I mentioned taking the Salisbury steak in the crock pot mm-hmm. and the gravy in the, the second pot, crock pot. And I was going to take our instant pot and use it to make rice. And it was going to be a bunch of rice. This is a big family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we load up everything and we get there. They live pretty far away. I can't just run home and go change, get anything or whatever. And so We get there and I'm getting everything set up. I'm kind of bustling around their kitchen, doing my thing, getting it all going. And (laughs) I go to make the rice. I open the lid. There is no pot inside the instant pot. (laughs) Oh, no. So what had happened is I had used it a day or two before and the the, the pot was clean on my counter back at home, but not there at their house where it ready to make rice. (laughs) And so... (laughs) I just, you know what? You just have to roll with the punches sometimes. And I was like, oh no, pastor's wife, do you have an instant pot that we can use? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, sure. I've got one. And so she just grabs hers and just contributes it. And we, we make rice. <laughs> so it worked. <laughs> but for a but minute, definitely you were a moment- panicked. Yeah, I was a little panicked, but it's it's in those moments of panic that the Lord humbles you. I remember taking a... um. A, a cake that my sister-in-law, who is a cake decorator, taking it to a, a baby shower that I was throwing. And this cake was beautiful when I picked it up. And then when I got there, it was not beautiful anymore. Yeah, I'll just say that. I Maybe it was my driving. I don't know. 
And I got there and I asked my pastor's wife, I was like, look, I'm really embarrassed to serve this, but it's the only cake we've got for this. And she says, you know what, Amanda, we're humble people. We're just going to eat the cake. <laughs> so we It's going to taste delicious. Nobody will care what it looks like when they're eating it. But it taught me a lesson, you know, just to, it's not about us. It's not about what can we produce? What can we do? Well or not well, you know, this is about just love people. We're going to humbly love people <laughs> and, you know, accomplish what the Lord has set before us. Great point. Great stories as well. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything with us, your delicious menu, recipes, your prep tip, your advice, your must-have kitchen item, and your stories. I'm so glad you took the time to join me today. Thank you. Of course. It's been a pleasure. Until next time.